0: Today, my father is driving me to my swimming lesson. He's speaking to me, but I'm not answering. A ball of anguish is lodged in my throat and stops me from speaking. It feels like somebody is crying inside my chest. From up here, Awakens itself in me my lungs fill with an immense sea of sorrow i fall i dive and i depart hello everyone and welcome back to the Dashi podcast i am as always nicholas here by myself easing back into things after our long hiatus with another chill rant it's just me this time, no Lauren. Lauren will be back, of course, again next week and, you know, all of the following weeks, hopefully from there on. Uh, yeah, no, we took April off. The The hiatus was pretty great. Um, I bought myself a new computer, um, just generally kind of rested. Well, actually, I didn't really rest. It was more like I decided to only have two jobs instead of three jobs. <laughs> so that way I could actually, like, you know, finish uh, my semester of teaching without, you know, my brain imploding. But like I said, um, I bought myself a swanky new computer, um, which was kind of a pain in the butt to put together because of the um, shortage of graphics cards out there. So thank you, um, all you cryptocurrency weirdos for making it impossible to build a computer nowadays. So there's that. Um, But the reason why I bring that up is because it means that I, from now on, will be streaming weekly especially since, you know, at the end of the semester, I am going to be unemployed again. So I'll have a lot more free time on my hands. I don't know yet if I'm going to be teaching again in the fall, but certainly for the summer, or at least, you know, from May through August, I will be free as not a bird, some other animal that isn't quite as free, (laughs) slightly less free than a bird, slightly more free than, I don't know, a mole in the ground. No, no, this metaphor is getting really weird. I also wanted to let you all know that we actually, Lauren and I will be setting up a Patreon soon for a lot of extra bonus content. Um, There are many changes in store. Um, Not all of them have been finalized yet, so do look for them in the coming weeks. All right, so what did I want to talk about today? I wanted to talk about suffering. (laughs) I want to talk about pain. I want to talk about grueling, arduous pain and it's specifically in the context so recently uh the game returnal was released and, you know, a lot of people are a buzz about this game and it's sort of, it's weird procedural. It's not really procedural, gener- I guess it is procedurally generated. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But sort of it's weird time loop system. And I really wanted to play the game because it figures into a lot of the sort of like more sort of philosophical slash metaphysical things that Lauren and I have been talking about on the podcast, particularly um, in our episode on Hades. Um, the title of that episode is uh, Hell Is Other Games, so do check that one out. It's a pretty good one, although, we mostly just talk about Brecht, from what I remember. Um, but I do not own a PS5. We are um, a Nintendo Switch household, largely because of my daughter, and I do not make enough money to own every single console in existence which you would think that i would considering you know i'm the i'm person who has a you know video games podcast but i'm mostly pc focused and you know i generally rely on lauren for more of the the consoles based stuff Now, there's actually when it comes to Returnal, um, I don't, I don't want to talk about too much about Returnal. I'm going to talk about it in extremely vague terms, largely because even though I don't personally care about spoilers, it is an extremely new game, (laughs) and I don't want to ruin a lot of the more interesting twists and turns in the game. There are a couple things that I will be spoiling, but they are things that happen very early in the game so if something that happens within like the first five minutes of a game can be considered a spoiler i I guess apologies but you know i'm gonna do it and once the game has been out for a while and you know people have played it and i you know lauren and i feel a little less wary about (laughs) just coming right out and saying some talking about some of the more unusual aspects of the game um we will have much more to say about it especially it's sort of like metaphysics as gameplay the whole um i guess you could say groundhog day slash edge of tomorrow slash if you're familiar with the book that uh edge of tomorrow is based on all you need is kill that whole concept of like the time loop as a kind of video game logic we will have more to say about that in the future but that's actually just the jumping off point for what i actually want to talk about which is a game that's about a year old now probably a little over a year old and that is iris and the giant now i don't know if a lot of people played this game it was extremely well received when it did come out um from the, it's uh, by a french designer ma- named um, louis rigaud um i can't remember off the top of my head who published it um, but Rigaud is or Rigaud. Or Rigaud. Uh, my French is terrible. Uh, he creates and develops media primarily for kids, and the game definitely has a kind of I don't know what you would call like a for kids or like a children's aesthetic to it. Sorry. Let me let me rephrase that. It has a sort of for kids visual aesthetic to it that I really like. You know, simple colors like simple block shapes um really i don't know it's it's a very beautiful game like i you guys know this about me i like pretty games and it's a very pretty game and i've been playing a lot of it recently i don't even really know why i just kind of started playing it again i guess there's a sort of like kismet quality to it where you know i was thinking about returnal and probably it brought to mind you know certain aspects of iris and the giant that have that loopy because you know all games like that games like you know slay the spire or even though it's not a card so-called card-based game it's uh it, it does have similar qualities um which is a uh, darkest dungeon sorry <laughs> the name was escaping me there for a second um games like this so-called like roguelikes or roguelite or you know if we want to use a more technical term games that have sort of procedural generation they do have this sort of, like, time loop-esque quality to them. Now, it's not exactly the same as what you get in Returnal. So, the one thing... Okay, so one thing that I'm going to spoil about Returnal. Uh, the, the character that you play in the game, Celine, almost n- from near the very beginning, she encounters her own corpse... And begins to realize through gameplay, and I think it's really nice that the game does this through gameplay. It doesn't just tell you, it's like, oh, there's a time loop. Like, you experience the time loop rather than you're told about the time loop. And one of the fascinating things about sort of the, the opening to Returnal is that unlike a lot of modern games... It doesn't have elaborate cutscene. I mean it has an extremely brief cutscene at the very beginning, but it kind of just dumps you into the game. And it dumps you into the game in such a way that is sort of that people will remember from like, you know, classic console games for like, you know, Sega, from Nintendo, you know, your Mario Brothers, your your Sonic the Hedgehogs, where the game begins by dumping you at the beginning of a level and you do stuff. And Returnal has that quality to it, where it just kind of dumps you in and you got to do stuff. (laughs) Um, And so there is a kind of, I would say, implicit commentary on sort of like the nature of like levels in gameplay, um, what that sort of means for the player character and how the whole story of Celine's sort of realization about why she is there in the first place, like, all that stuff is blended together and makes for, you know, really interesting um, allegory. Not just metaphor, it's really sort of an allegory. But when thinking about it in terms of this sort of, like, allegorical question, the game reminded me of Iris and the Giant and also to a lesser extent of Takeshi and Hiroshi, mostly because of sort of, like, the, the repetitive nature of the levels. In the way that the actual, like, level design slash gameplay mechanics have a sort of metaphysical slash psychological core. And that's definitely true of Takeshi and Hiroshi, where sort of the way the game plays is very much about sort of um, Takeshi coming to understand his little brother, how he relates to them. There, there is this sort of, like, psychosocial dynamic there that is, that's not there in either um, Iris and the Giant or Returnal. But what Iris and the Giant focuses on is more sort of the interior life of its main character, Iris, who experiences her anxiety and her um, demons, literally, <laughs> quite literally her demons as actual demons, as sort of these these creatures that she has to sort of defeat using this like, you know, card game based gameplay. Um, and so it's at this point that I want to let you guys know that sort of the, the first game that I'm going to be streaming will actually be Iris and the Giant. And a lot of the aspects of the game that I won't really be able to get into here, um, we can talk about there, especially a lot of sort of the interesting visual elements. Um, we can dive into some of the cutscenes and what they mean, how they're constructed, how they relate to the gameplay and so forth. Whereas for now, I'm going to talk in sort of much broader terms about just some interesting things about Iris and the Giant and how to think about the meaning of procedural generation in video games and so what Iris and the Giant strikes me as is a kind of procedural generation as allegory of suffering so from the very get-go uh, the, the very the very first um, Scene. It's a sort of cutscene at the you know before the the gameplay before the menu and whatnot is Iris um, being driven by her father to a swim lesson, where she feels intense anxiety over all of the people staring at her, and she's just an extremely emotionally sensitive child. And I will say that one of the reasons why. This, this resonance, you know, I'm a, you guys know, I'm a father, you know, I have, kid, I have a child of my own, and this sort of, the, the, the difficulty in sort of like communicating with your own child and sort of getting into their interior, especially when, you know, they have really powerful and strong emotions that they don't necessarily understand themselves, they don't really know how to process. Um, for me, Iris and the Giant is a really fantastic gameplay slash, so narrative slash visual metaphor for how children experience that kind of interior anxiety. In other words, turning their really tough emotions into these sort of concrete things that they can battle. And that's one of the things that Iris tries to do in the game. She tries to to you know, battle her way through all of these various floors, ultimately to reach the you know the the giant at the end. And the giant is a complex character in the game as well, both sort of the I guess you could say the ultimate bad guy, but then also sort of the the aspect of Iris herself that she's trying to release. The yeah, it's weird because the the giant is really an, a very ambivalent figure. Because the giant, there are like um, power-ups that you can get in the game where the giant actually helps you. And so it's not just as straightforward as, you know, the giant is the big bad guy. It's more like the giant is, like, um, if you guys have ever seen the film um, Song of the Sea and the way in which the, the, the giant sort of represents this, like, you know, sorrowful figure, it's very similar. And it's possible they even took that <laughs> from Song of the Sea. I don't know. I, I can't say for certain. And so if you think about the gameplay of a roguelite or a roguelike honestly the distinction between the two and we're just going to talk about them as you know procedural generation so the fact that the the games themselves can be really frustrating oftentimes roguelike games can be not just repetitive but repetitive in such a way where you kind of feel like you're you're banging your head um, against a wall, and you know, the repetition itself functions as a kind of suffering for you as the player, and you know, in an ordinary game where it's just, you know, you have procedurally generated dungeons, and you just have to sort of like you know, like in your, uh, I don't know like in Diablo 3, where, you know, all the dungeons, I think actually in Diablo 2, they're procedurally generated as well. Anyway, the point is when we're playing a game like Diablo 3 the game itself doesn't really sort of the way you have to play the game doesn't really feel like it has any particular resonance for like the psychological state of the player character or for you as the person playing the game. Whereas in the case of Iris and the Giant, those three conditions are all very clearly linked. So Iris' psychological states, or Iris as the, the player character, you as the person playing the game, and then also the game itself, like those... Everyone's frustrations or the frustrations built into the level design the frustrations of the player character who is your avatar And then the frustrations of yourself as the person playing the game all of those things sort of marry in a really interesting way Such that the game and this is what I love about the game the gameplay makes you feel the psychological condition of the main character And there are a lot of games that do that. There are a lot of games that sort of hit you emotionally. There are a lot of games where either through like, you know, character development or through the narrative or through a whole host host of other factors, like get to your feels and really sort of tug at your heartstrings. But this is, Iris and the Giant is a really fascinating game because it both, in many ways, the narrative itself and its sort of emotional content is actually kind of pate. And I think it's paid for a reason. It's because, you know, it's, you know, for kids, so to speak. But because it also does it through the gameplay, it feels like... So I was playing um, Iris and the Giant earlier today just to sort of refamiliarize myself with some things. And I, I kept getting stuck on this one floor that I never get stuck at. And I felt my frustration almost intensify because I was like I had this expectation like I'm supposed to be able to do this I'm supposed to be able to get through this level I I am I'm an old man but I'm not that old I'm not a boomer (laughs) like I can actually I have done this before and I know that I can do it so why is it giving me such trouble now and that in terms of the gameplay is very much like the kinds of frustrations that we feel in our lives. When, for example, like if you're incredibly stressed out, things that feel like they're normal to you or that you, you know, that you should just be able to do without even thinking, suddenly they become really difficult because there's something else going on in your life or something else has happened in this case. And I had forgotten that a a power-up I usually take I hadn't taken. That's what was causing the problem. But again, sort of like the, the surrounding conditions are what dictate the fact that you are having so much trouble in that moment. So, okay, a little bit about the gameplay in Iris and the Giants. So, it's like I said, it's very much like Slay the Spire. Probably a little bit simpler, a little bit more straightforward, because... Enemies don't really have, like, I mean, okay, some enemies do take multiple hits, but they, they take multiple hits in a fairly, like, straightforward way. You don't have to think about, like, okay, this one has this much HP, but it's resistant to this, but it's, it's a, like you don't have to do any of that stuff. It's like, this one is armored. It's got two armor points. You got to break through the two armor points before you can finally kill it. Otherwise, things pretty much just take one hit to kill. So it is pretty straightforward in terms of, like, you know, how, how you kill monster. However, you know, there's a huge, like many other procedurally generated games, there's, there's a fairly large variety of the types of. In the, in the game, they're actually demons, they're not monsters. So there's a huge variety of these, these demons, and they come in various types as well. And oftentimes, the game is extremely deep because it does involve a lot of strategy in the way that pretty much all of these sort of like procedurally generated, um, like card based games work. And so you do really have to think about, you do really actually have to strategize, especially since um, there's this interesting mechanic in the game where if you run out of cards, you you basically die, or it's, you know, framed as a dream, or you sort of wake up for the dream, and you can do it again and again and again. And so, actually, no, actually, let's talk about the recursive aspect of it a little bit. So... You know, in a game like Hades, where, you know, Zagreus, <laughs> um, so, so gross, you know, dies over and over and over again and just goes back to, you know, the, the beginning of hell and he starts over again. Like, you know, there, there's a sort of cute thing that's going on there. But the way it's framed in Iris and the Giant is the, the repetition is a function of, because it's a dream state. It's essentially like a nightmare. It's a recurring nightmare that occurs over and over and over again and you in many ways have to sort of like fight your way through the nightmare. And again, you know, for those of you who have kids, you you've probably experienced this before like it hell as adults. As adults we have these recurring dreams, we have these recurring anxieties that occur within our dreams and we have to struggle with them. We have to sort of like in some cases literally fight back against them so as you're playing the game you know you start off and you know the the initial floors are pretty easy you know so they ramp up as you go long and there are traps and there are all sorts of other things but also like the more you play the game the more things are available to you to make the game easier so now let's think about the the allegory here for a second. Let's think about sort of the metaphor of like what this what does this mean? So much like in your own life, the more you sort of work through your problems. In other words, the less you sort of turn away from them, the the more the less you ignore them, the more you actually try to work through them, you know, maybe with a therapist or whatever. like you start to develop the tools, sometimes dysfunctional, sometimes adaptive to deal with the problems in your life. And again, that's built into the gameplay. And you know, you could probably make an argument that's like, well, yeah, you know, you see that in a lot of roguelikes, that's, it's not uncommon. But because of the fact that you have this sort of like, you have the narrative, you have the psychological state of the main character, and then sort of the the thing, the expected thing that roguelikes do to you as a player sometimes, Because all of those things are sort of meshed together into like one cohesive, harmonious whole, it means that when you have something like a common, you know, (laughs) a common feature of roguelikes, this is sort of like, you know, acquiring, you know, bonuses and power boosts over time, that that then comes to reflect the whole state of the game and the way the whole state of the game sort of reflects back onto the psychosocial condition that it's trying to depict for you. Um, And so in many ways there is built, even though you you do have to struggle, you do suffer through all of these like procedurally generated um, levels, at the same time, the game is also finding this really subtle way to encourage you to sort of work through your problems in the same way that Iris has to sort of fight her demons, work through her problems and, and deal with her own, you know, social anxiety. And it's not just anxiety, she's also being picked on, so there there are aspects of it that are kind of shitty as well. But this is actually very, very different from the time loops, even though it has this kind of recursive-slash-repetitive quality to it. It is very different from the time loop structure that you see in a game like Returnal. One, because Returnal is more progressive than... A game like Iris and the Giant is, and what I mean by progress I don't mean politically progressive. I mean like the, the the loop is moving you forward. In any in many ways, it's much more like um, the, ga- the 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 film the game Groundhog Day, <laughs> the film Groundhog Day, where you know Bill Murray's character, like he's he's learning and he's pro- he's progressing even though it loops over the same day loops over and over and over again, or like you know in Edge of Tomorrow, where there is you know there's a progression. So it's progressive in that sense. Now, this is sort of odd because the overall feeling of the game, like, again, I don't want to spoil too much. I don't want to, like, reveal a lot about it, but the game feels like punishment. In other words, whereas Iris and the Giant definitely feels like you suffer, and like, and there's there's pain there, there's struggle there, but the struggle is to work through something and move towards a point where hopefully you will be sort of like released from the pattern, so to speak. It's almost, in many ways, it's kind of like a Buddhist allegory of like. Anyway, I'm getting off track here. <laughs> I don't want to talk about Buddhism. I don't have a ton of time left. Whereas in returnal, you definitely feel, there, there are very subtle hints from the very beginning and the sort of ramps up over time, this feeling like, um, in, just like Hades, that sort of the repetition is itself a kind of hell, or if not a hell, like, like a punishment. In other words, even though the game progresses, sort of the, the, sort of the loops progress you through certain states towards you, know, various bosses and so forth, at the end of the day, the game feels like it's hurting you just to hurt you. Or maybe not you as the player character, maybe you can sort of dissociate from Celine, but it definitely feels like it's hurting Celine just to hurt her. Brutalizing her for the sake of brutalization. Whereas in Iris and the Giant, the suffering, the brutalization, like the things that happen to her. And sort of confronting them and dealing with them again through the sort of like really interesting marriage between sort of the characterization of this girl and the gameplay creates a situation where you feel like it's hard, sometimes hard, repetitive, maybe even difficult, annoying, frustrating, etc, etc, etc. But you feel like there is another side that you're working through something rather than just sort of like repeating some sort of like task In an almost like sisyphean manner and sisyphus is actually kind of an appropriate uh, metaphor here because both returnal and iris and the giant um, draw very heavily on um, greek mythology well iris and the giant more so than returnal returnals more sort of alludes to greek mythology in a lot of different ways without sort of being too explicit all the time And so that's really sort of the point that I wanted to end on. This idea that sort of like you can take the gameplay and use it to solicit in your player a psychological state that if sort of really well thought out and well crafted can both reflect the narrative that you're trying to present but then also solicit in your player the same emotions or at least not it's not the same emotions it's sort of like um analogous emotions to what the player character him or herself or themselves are feeling and so that's really one the point that i wanted to leave you guys with something to think about you know for all of your future (laughs) game dev journeys and experiments all right so that's it for this week like i said um sometime later this week i will be streaming iris and the giant and we'll talk a lot more about sort of the the little fine details and a lot of the more not more interesting but you know things that can't quite be covered in an overview um so stop by um i'll be announcing it on our twitter our twitter is uh furidashi pod so that's f-u-r-i-d-a-s-h-i-p-o-d um obviously lauren will be back again next week and we'll have all sorts of fun, fantastic things to talk to you about. But until then, uh, do please stay safe, stay healthy, and well, you don't have to do your homework because it's the end of the semester. (laughs) All right. Bye, guys.